Hey everybody, Paul here. Just a quick heads up. We do use some stronger language than we normally do in our opening discussion this episode. I typically try to edit that sort of thing out, but in this case, I felt it fits with the subject we're discussing, so I left it in. But I did want to give a little warning just in case so it doesn't you know, come as a shock to anybody. Anyway, on with the show. When all is ready, I throw this switch. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Collected Edition, a comic book podcast where we discuss the famous and infamous runs and story arcs throughout the history of comics. I'm Paul Matthew Carr, and with me, as always, Brian Reese. Hey there, Paul. Good to be here. It is good to be here. It's a blustery Sunday morning. It is. It's uh, currently currently negative 10 degrees here in Chicago. Uh, merely negative five in Colorado. Yeah, so so we're, we're both winners. <laughs> That's right. We're both winters. Oh, hey. Not, hey. not barren winters, though. Today on the program, we'll be discussing Black Hammer Secret Origins, a Jeff Lemire and Dean Ormstrom, Ormstrom, Ormston? Dean Ormston Orm- dark superhero tale that's pretty much surface level. Not really much to talk about, really. <laughs> <laughs> Sarcasm. But first, um, okay, I guess we'll mention this before we move on. And I don't want to talk about it for very long, but. More allegations uh, about the behavior of Joss Whedon have emerged, and um, the major one, or rather one that's prompted many others to speak out, is from Charisma Carpenter, who played Cordelia Chase on Buffy and Angel, and her statement is harrowing, and these allegations are not new. For several years now, I mean, they've been piling up from his ex-wife, from Ray Fisher, from others. But this recent statement from Charisma Carpenter has really allowed people to come forward and not be afraid to speak up. And I have one question, Brian. Why can't creators whose work I admire just be decent people? Well, yeah, isn't that the thing? And I, you know, it's other folks are way more invested, I think, in the Joss Whedon. I I was never, you know, I I have many of my geek shows and various things that I, but for some reason, I, I never caught on to Buffy. So I don't have, or Firefly, things like that. And I don't, I don't have the, uh, and I, I don't know if we ever addressed, you know, Warren Ellis. Uh, I think we did in passing, yeah. I think we did in passing. I think I was, because he was one of my favorite creators, I was just so angry about the matter that I, I may not have wanted to talk about it a whole lot. But, uh, you know, it is. It's like when, when you have favorite creators and people who whose work you really respect and like, and then you find out they're just shitty. Yeah. I mean, in part of the language, but at some point, that's just there are worse things to call them. I don't mean to use that phrase as the be all because there are probably way worse things that we could refer to yeah. these people as. Well, I did, you know, for, for me, Buffy is a major part of my life, and I know that sounds right. ridiculous. No, it doesn't. Not at all. No, I mean, we all I, have those shows, and I know Buffy is beloved. In by by so many people who I respect and, and care for and whatever, it yeah. just yeah. well, I I love the show. I mean, it, I mean, and it's not just that I love the show. I mean, I watched it when it first aired and I was invested in all that. But mm-hmm. the real thing is that years later, I shared it with my daughter. I mean, she was into the whole vampire romance thing, right? And uh, so I said, "Hey, you want to watch real vampire romance?" So we started watching <laughs> Buffy together, and you know. I don't know, we bonded over it, whatever you want to say. But it became something more because my wife, Terry, at the time, 
started to get in, started, you know, joining us. And she became invested and it became like this family tradition where we all watched Buffy together and we rewatch mm-hmm. our favorite episodes and uh, rewatch seasons together. Terry actually had the theme song as her ringtone for a while, the, the Nerf Herder <laughs> song. Yeah, so it was, it was, it was mm-hmm. like in my little family unit, Buffy was this major thing that we all, you know, shared together. And, and I believed the hype. I held up Whedon as this paragon of virtue. He was an example of what, it, what men could be in the, in the Hollywood industry. And it was all a lie. He's just another shitty abuser. And it's, maybe it's selfish of me, but it, it just taints everything. No, I mean, and, and I think that's the thing is it, it taints it. And, and, you know, I, we're not, this isn't this, you know, this, this isn't us trying to. No, I mean, we're not virtue signaling or anything. This is just I'm trying to dance around, you know, the, the, the cancel culture word. So I just said it. And, and I, I, there, there are difficulties with that in many ways, but it, it, it at the same time, it's, you know, the, the, I don't think that's what we're trying to do because, but at the same time, it's like, I can't read Warren Ellis stuff in the same way anymore. I just can't, Yeah. you know? And so for folks who are a big fan of Joss Whedon, you know, some, some people will be like, it's fine. Let the work stand on its own. We separate the work from the individual. And there are arguments to be made for that. There are arguments to be made. Uh, I am not taking a stand one way or the other here. I don't want people yeah. accusing well, I mean- us things that we're not saying you know for me personally it uh, these things do taint how i approach an artist's work going forward well a couple of things like it's not cancel culture to hold someone accountable for their actions right um, at the same time i guess what i'm just trying to get my head around is how hard is it to be a fucking decent human being i mean why can't you just treat people with respect and dignity why is that so fucking hard and, and it yeah and it's frustrating and I'm, so, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm cursing like a madman here, but I'm just, it pisses me off. Well, I mean, but we have, I, I think we have disclaimers before our... <laughs> yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll put that up top, yeah. I, 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 I think, yeah, it's, there There are, so this is a comic book podcast, so I know neither of us really want to get into... No, no, I mean, I, and I, I said I didn't want to talk about this very much, but here, here we are. But at the, at the same time, so... Regular listeners probably know where we fall uh, in certain areas uh, politically, but at the same time, it, it is like it, it, it's yeah. the idea that like and, and so we're we're dealing with the entertainment industry, and we we've seen so many bad behaviors by people in the entertainment industry, and you know it's absolute power corrupts absolutely. I don't know. There's just creators over the. I don't know what is it like from. Woody Allen, Bill Cosby, Louis C.K. These are all entertainers whose work I really enjoy. And I'm like, what the hell is wrong with you people? Why? why? I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, well, there's, there's, and there's so many sacred cows. I mean, yeah. the, the, there's, you know, I mean, Stan Lee. Yeah. You know, um, Julia Schwartz, uh, who has had, you know, these people have had numerous allegations uh, against them and I, I generally choose to to believe the accuser in, in most cases and so I you know you just you hear all this and, and you're you're just like you know this is a medium we love yeah. you know we, we we're, we're doing a comic book podcast because we love comics you know we, we talk about other aspects of the entertainment industry because we love those aspects of the entertainment industry 
when we continually hear stories about people within the medium we love behaving terribly, it, it's it's frustrating. It's it's very it's disappointing. It's yeah, it's beyond disappointing. I, just this should be something where creativity and individuality should be embraced and supported. And in so many cases, it's stifled because of bad behavior. And I'm being very subtle in, <laughs> right. in using the, that term. Yeah, It's hard because, you know, th this industry does have problems and it has had problems for as long as this industry has existed. And to not address those, to not acknowledge those, to just say that, you know, to stick our fingers in our ears and la, la, la our way around it is, is problematic. Uh, yes, it is. I, I, I constantly live in this world where I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop, like with, with creators that I love dearly. And should they be called out if they have acted badly? Yes, they should. Oh, absolutely. Yes. No, but this one, I... I think the Joss Whedon one is really hard for folks. Uh, yeah. Like you said, it, it's particularly like, you know, you, you gave, you know, the, the fact that the, the show was beloved, not just of you, but it was, you had invested family yeah. interest in it. You, you have memories and like good memories of familial, you gather around the TV and you watch a show together and it's, it's, yeah. And then you find out that, some of this stuff was going on behind the scenes. Yeah. You know, Buffy, well, first of all, Whedon had that, which, which is obviously a mythology now of mm -hmm. being this empowering feminist writer. Right. So it's all, it was all a lie. I mean, you start to look at these storylines differently that mm -hmm. he wrote. Well, it is a know? level of criticism. I mean, it's there, there's, you know, it, it, how we approach texts has, has been, in play for thousands of well thousands is you know when when was gutenberg um anyway uh <laughs> for for as long as as text has existed how we approach a text whether it be in any media form how we approach text has always had its variety of different levels of how one critiques said said text and i don't mean critique necessarily negative negatively but you know yeah. we have all these different types of literary critique which falls into other media media mediums as well and i'm, I'm a deconstructionist which is not the most popular thing these days but that's my thing and, you know, but uh, can you break that down and tell me what it means <laughs> <laughs> we, you'd, you'd have to you would have to hear the underlying uh, message that i'm giving rather the outward uh, but yeah, it's right. like, you know, there is a strain of criticism that has to, that takes into account the author's intent and the author's personal life. Yeah. People can have a difference of opinion as to whether that is a legit form of criticism or not, but uh, yeah. it's real, you know? And then, like you just said, you know, you are now watching Buffy. If you go back and you watch Buffy, are you now looking for... Yeah, well, that's definitely going to be the case. Now... I will take solace in the fact that there are other creators and other writers and other voices that are being told in that series. It's not just Whedon. Right. Um, but I'm going to have to seriously look at this property that I love and really come to terms with, do I still want to, do I still want to engage with it? And that's awful. And for the, you know, for Pete's sakes, 
I really don't want to see Gene Roddenberry's name trending. No, 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 no. Because that changes everything. Yeah. Um, Okay. Let's move on. Right. Yeah. Let's move on to something good. So the last time we talked, we had seen two episodes of WandaVision. And uh, since then, uh, there have been... Well, hold on. Uh, Yeah. Spoilers, by the way. Because we're just... We're not going to try to beat around the bush we're going to talk all about spoilers but seriously if you haven't watched wandavision yet what's wrong with you yeah what are you doing turn this podcast off go watch it right now we'll even wait if you're if, even if you're a dc zombie not a real thing yeah so, um, so so go go watch wandavision and come back we'll wait until you get back because i'm a dc zombie i'm like i'm loving one anyway all right i'm assuming all the listeners who left to watch wandavision are back um it's good right Oh, it's better than good. Yeah, so four more episodes have been released since the last time uh, we recorded, and it's probably the best thing on TV right now. Easily the best superhero show. Yeah, the the Expanse just ended, so yes, it probably is the best thing. Oh, you and your Expanse. Uh, Yeah, but so it continues the the theme of the, the, the show within a show. It's progressing, you know, it's progressing through the decades. Uh, so having a sitcom, you know, having a sitcom style from the seventies, eighties, nineties. We're we're in the nineties now, right? I think we made it to the nineties. Yeah. So Malcolm in the Middle, which I guess was kind of early two thousands, but it's still it's still a very nineties feel to it. Right. Yeah. And we had we had speculated on the last uh, after the first two episodes, wouldn't it be great if they did a uh, you know a kind of a mock opening in the style of each type of sitcom? And they have. And they have. Yeah. And it's so well done. That's brilliant. Uh, the the um, sort of the Family Ties episode, or the Family Ties opening was so good. Whoever Whoever's doing production design, and I, I think if, you know, it, I feel like we've seen who does it throughout because we're all sitting through the last six minutes of credits. Yeah. Well, even, even the fake credits, something. even the fake credits that roll uh, like in the, the se- in the show itself, they're all the real people who yeah. are working on the show it's so incredibly meta it's crazy um, but it's fun and and that's a like because meta can sometimes not be real fun and i think that if someone doesn't know all of the easter eggs or you know, what have you there is the the possibility always exists that you know you are going to alienate some viewers because they're like i don't know what's happening here well we had talked about this with the evan peters reveal as Quicksilver, you didn't know that Evan Peters played Quicksilver in the Fox movies. Right, because I've never watched the X-Men movies. Which is amazing. It's, they've been around for 20 years. But, uh. <laughs> so, you know, when Evan Peters shows up as Quicksilver, I'm just like, oh, that's the guy from American Horror Story. I love him. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm sure everyone who listens to this show knows this, but, you know, Aaron Taylor Johnson plays Quicksilver in the Marvel movies. Evan Peters plays Quicksilver. I have seen in the Fox movies. It's either just a a, a nice little Easter egg, or it's a way to 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 kind of fold because Disney bought the Fox rights, so it can mm-hmm. fold uh, those movies into the MCU. I don't know. We'll we'll see what happens. But for right now, and on top of that, I don't know if you caught this, Brian. In the Halloween episode, uh, they mentioned Kick Ass. It's like let's go Kick Ass, and. Wanda just goes, hmm, Kick-Ass. Aaron Taylor Johnson played Kick-Ass in the movie and Evan Peters played Ass-Kicker. So they were Which in a movie. Mark, Mark Miller. Right. 
so but they were both in that movie together oh see i this i didn't know i read the first couple kick-ass but uh like i, I haven't seen the kick-ass movies yeah, you but don't really need to but it's just the fact that these two actors were in that movie and they're just sort of casually referencing it and it didn't matter that i didn't know that right because it just glossed right over. It had no effect on me enjoying the show. If I had known that, I would have been like, you know, slapping my knee and guffawing, but I didn't, and that's fine too. No, no, exactly. I, I did know that, and I was just like, ah, they're just going to town with the meta references. I love the way the show has just been structured. I mean, there's one point, it's in the Family Ties episode, Vision and Wanda are arguing, and she rolls credits like the show's over, but they still continue to argue as you know, you hear the laugh track and the applaud audience applauding and the credits are rolling. And I just thought that was so, so well done. The show within the show continues. I, well, I, I don't know how to describe it. It's just so incredibly well done. It, and it's what what they're doing. I mean, th this isn't a unique idea that this has been done before. Yeah. You know, there were only like, what's the what's the how many stories actually exist in the world? But uh, it's what you do within the stories. And uh what WandaVision is doing, it, it, it's just so well done in, in terms of, like, it, it's not just how it's presented, it's, it's how they have, the, 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 the patience that they have mm -hmm. shown in this series to not give you everything. Yeah, they don't have and, a big exposition dump to tell you exactly what's happening. The slow roll from episode to episode and, and the subtle changes from episode to episode, it is not hurried. It is not, I'm trying to think how to properly put this, that they are moving things at, the pacing of the show is, is amazing. Yeah, and there's no padding. This, everything that happens is essential. It's happening for a reason, Yeah, but it's not happening in, in, in a way that, that feels rushed. Right. Well, it's like they have confidence in the audience to figure this stuff out on their own and to to be smart enough. You don't have to be your hand. You don't they don't have to hold your hand and carry it through the story. They have right. confidence that the audience is going to be following along. Yeah, it's really good storytelling. And, and, and that it's moving from, you know, there's there's humor, but it's it's moving. It's, it's almost a horror story at some point right now. Oh, yeah. And what will be interesting to see is is it's going to move from the horror story to something else. You know, we're six episodes. Is it six? It's six so far. Yes. Yeah, and I assume six out of ten. I don't know. Uh, it's actually nine. There's going to be nine episodes. Nine episodes. Okay, so we have three episodes left. It'll it'll be interesting to see uh, how they move that forward. But it, it just yeah. It's yeah, even so even well. the stuff in the you know real world is mm -hmm. still is incredibly well done. I want to see a Monica Rambo, Jimmy Woo, X-Files type TV show <laughs> where they just solve crimes, uh, solve weird crimes together. Well, I think uh, there's some, I, I saw somewhere that, that, that there's someone made a pitch for a Jimmy Woo, um, Kat Dennings uh, spinoff as well. Oh yeah, but real quick, I want to get your your thoughts on this. Who do you think the guy, the uh, the engineer that, Monica Rambeau is going to bring in. They've been teasing this mysterious person two episodes, three episodes now, and they're going to meet. They got to meet up with. I got to meet up with my guy. Right, uh, right, right. So the big, uh, the big speculation online is that it will be Reed Richards. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I, I don't think they're going to. I would have thought Tony Stark. 
Tony Stark's dead. Right. Wait, no. Oh, spoilers, everybody. Tony Stark's dead. <laughs> yeah. But but uh, this is the Marvel Universe. Nobody's dead. I think it's going to be um, Rhodes, War Machine. Oh, okay. Because I don't, I, I, you know. Reed Richards is more fun. It is more fun, but I don't think but they're going to no introduce. that her character knows Reed Richards. Yeah, but I don't think that they're going to introduce the Fantastic Four as a throwaway character on a sitcom. I, be, I mean, on a sitcom. On well, a I don't think there's, I, I don't think there are throwaway characters in the Marvel Universe currently. Yeah, that's true. I mean, <laughs> I think they're using the TV shows basically in the or in the same way. Well, with the TV shows, there's only one so far. Um, I, I can't imagine them using these shows in a throwaway. This is not a throwaway series. Oh no! I think that, I think this series is going to have ramifications in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, whether it be on Disney Plus or on the big screen. Well, we know that the next Doctor Strange film is going to be the Multiverse of Madness. Mm-hmm. That's what it's being called, and we know that Scarlet Witch is going to appear in it. So everything that happens here is no doubt going to have ramifications for that film. So, yeah, I mean, it's all tied together, man. <laughs> uh, right. So I don't I don't think anything would be a throw. So I think if they were introducing Reed Richards, I, I don't think it would be a throwaway. No, I just, I just think the reintroduction of the Fantastic Four to the Marvel Cinematic Universe is probably going to do- be done with a, with a plum. <laughs> just something, something big and spectacular, I think. That's how, that's how I... Or fantastic. Something fantastic, exactly. Real quick, before we end this, how great was the comic accurate costumes? Yes. To the I point actually where, read somewhere where there, 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 there was a big push to make certain that they were completely accurate. Yes. I mean, to the point where Quicksilver has his little silly hair thing going on. Yes. Oh, and and so the fact good. that they were jean shorts. Yes. Well, even... Even uh, the kids. How nineties? Yeah, even the kids have their comic accurate uh, right. costumes. I mean, Wiccan is dressed. I can't remember which which kid it is. Is it Tommy? <laughs> but it's just there is an awareness on the part of the creators. They obviously know the material, and they know their audience, and I, and and I appreciate that. Yeah, it's fan service done right. Right, and it's fan service done that gives the fans something but feeds the plot too exactly okay so um i guess suffice to say we're big fans of wandavision oh yeah yeah and we'll probably talk about this again (laughs) on a later (laughs) continued on a later episode enough said enough said okay uh let's take a break and come back with some uh dark analogs hey there do you like comic books do you like superhero tv and movies well come on over and check out the capes and lunatics podcast we have such shows as capes and lunatics and super connectivity where we cover everything new and current and popular in the world of superheroes and we also have episode by episode reviews of the marvel netflix shows and a monthly discussion of everything current on the dc comics character nightwing and a few other surprises all the time. So come join us for the Capes and Lunatics podcast. And we're back. Brian, this week oh. is your uh, recommendation. So tell us all about it. Okay, I will. 
Black Hammer is an ongoing series written by Jeff Lemire and primarily drawn by Dean Ormston. Begun in 2016, the series features a plethora of spin-offs and engages in a multi-layered exercise in world building. According to interviews, Lemire wanted to create a superhero comic that lived outside the usual trappings of the genre, but paid loving tribute as well. The first collected edition, which comprises issues one through six, introduces us to the characters Abraham Slam, Golden Gale, Barbalian, Talkie Walkie, Colonel Weird, and Madame Dragonfly. And in the periphery is the mysterious hero, the Black Hammer, who is mostly hinted at and only featured very sparingly in flashback. All of the characters are amalgamations of existing stock superheroes, easily recognizable. But Lemire infuses them with a wealth of unique personality and motivation. While this is not a new technique, Lemire does a masterful job through a series of origin stories, spinning them out from underneath the weight of the expected and the generic. Our story begins with our merry band of champions being exiled through mysterious means to a pocket world that essentially consists of the town of Rockwood. They are unable to leave this idyllic small town world, a fact they initially learn with tragic results. What follows is part soap opera, part cosmic adventure, part horror story, and part existentialist crisis. There is not even a whiff of decompression to this comic, each issue packed with extensive plotting, hints and allegations, action sequences, and interpersonal drama. Dean Ormston does some of the best work of his career, infusing the world of Black Hammer with an incredibly unique look, making it singular with reference. This story arc is a great introduction to a series that keeps getting better. A great example that serialized comics aren't dead or stale, but in the right hands can still entertain, inspire, and continue to tell new stories. So... Paul, I recommended this, you're reading it. Do you have any initial feelings? This is really good. I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, we will elaborate more on that, but we talk a lot about, you know, subverting expectations or, or, or subverting the genre. And this can be done in many different ways and, uh, you know, with many different results. But right. this, and this is, is not a unique idea. No. I think it, like, but it's like what we talked about earlier with WandaVision. It's not a unique idea, but it's all about execution. It's all about uh, what you do with the material. And Jeff Lemire really steps up and, and creates something truly unique. It's, as you say, it's a loving homage, but it's also, uh, it's also something more. It, it's like Lemire's mainstream superhero work has been really you know hit or miss over the years. And I think that's in part by being hamstrung by the, you know, editorial, editorial, mm -hmm. corporate interference, what, what have you. But left to his own devices, his storytelling is so deeply personal and so compelling that it well, becomes something greater. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Lemire has we, we could we could spend a year covering some of the work Lemire has done. I, I think he's one of the great creators in comics currently. I mean, and you were talking about his superhero work, but uh, Let's you know we 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 have to mention you know Essex County and uh, <laughs> um, yeah uh, Sweet Tooth and uh, Royal City. I mean it, this this guy has has put together some incredible comics and he's busy. This is a busy busy writer. 
Absolutely. Oh, and don't even get me started on Descender and Ascender, which is we're descending, ascending, and transcendent. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, certainly something yeah. we should talk about at some point. Uh, it, it's funny you mentioned Essex County because one of my notes here is this is basically ex- Essex County with capes. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's so there's so much sadness and and I don't know, it, it, this, this, this med- melancholy, tragic story that just permeates everything while at the same time. But really it's not lo- great. No, it really loves the material and it loves these characters and it really just wants to to identify with them and to to make them fully rounded. Let me just uh, like while we're you know it's sometimes we don't talk about art that much. I, so Dean Ormston, uh, I've I've always felt like he's an okay artist. He has a, a a unique style that didn't always thrill me in some of the Vertigo work that he did in the past. And and that's that's not a knock. It's just everybody has their personal artistic taste. And mm. but holy crow, he is perfect. He is note perfect in this comic. He is the absolute right artist for this. I agree. I agree 100%. I mean, there is, well, first of all, it takes these, this superhero genre out of the superhero look and feel. So it creates right. something unique all its own. It's almost like a horror story feeling to it, a horror story right. vibe. Which, which is where some of Ormston has made his patch a little bit in yeah. the Vertigo stuff. But yeah, but it adds, the art adds to the story. It adds an ominous feeling and, and, and that um, that ominous feeling is conveyed even in the most normal and mundane scenes, and which which there are a lot of. Yes, and it's and it's perfect because it's unsettling. Even when it's just two people having a conversation at a kitchen table, there's something there's something off about it. Right, and it and it adds to the whole overall story because you're just waiting for the shoe to drop. You're just waiting for uh, something's not right here. Yeah, even if and even it, if it's not conveyed in the in the the words, it's just. There's a, there's a feeling of the feeling of something just being off. Every panel though that Ormston draws, and he's the I think uh, Dave Stewart, the the great Dave Stewart is doing the colors. The great Todd mm-hmm. Klein is doing the letters. I mean, this is like a superstar. But you know, I'll, while it flows out of Jeff Lemire's mind, it's the visual presentation of, of all this. I I just can't say enough about Ormston's art in this and like you said like he's taking these like really mundane like each panel like he's just he'll do a panel where it it, it is it's just like a farm you know right. and this takes place on a farm these these superheroes are exiled to a farm and you know even something as simple as milking a cow like yeah. what Ormston does visually is just like with the shadows and like with the with the help of the coloring from from Dave Stewart and it just it's so good and I feel really bad for like having kind of in the past been kind of iffy about Ormston and it makes me want to go back and reread some of the stuff that he did the art on so I can see his progression but yeah there's um I'll give an example there's one panel I forget what issues it's in but Golden Gale is sitting on the roof kind of looking away into the distance and you just see Barbalian floating in. It's just his right. feet coming in behind her. There's a shadow cast on the, on the roof of the barn. And there is just such a feeling of loneliness and desperation just in that one panel. You know, it conveys so much with a single image. And it's just one in a series on, on one page. It, it's really, yeah. it's really stunning. It's really brilliant. Ah. Uh. It just, uh, yeah. I mean, it's 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 one of those situations where, like, the creative forces have have come together in 
like a, a really interesting way. And, and what's weird is like th- this series actually gets better. I said to you, like, we should have done more issues than just the, the first six. We could have. <laughs> and, and, and I did end up going, uh, you know, because we had a little bit extra time off here and I actually managed to come uh, catch up on my monthly, you know, <laughs> my monthly floppy reading. Uh, and so I was able to forge ahead as as well. And, and I, I didn't want to go too far because a lot, the next six issues is some really interesting things happen too. And I don't want to talk about them here because we're just, we're literally, we're just talking about these first six issues. And I, I think that's enough for now, but you see like the payoff down the line. Yeah. These are basically, we, we, yeah, we literally just get to know each of the characters and get their origin stories. I mean, I mean, structurally, you know, just to kind of circle back structurally, uh, the comic is it's it's six issues. There's six characters. Each issue is when I say there's no decompression. I'm serious. There is there. This is this is old school. This is every issue is packed with things happening. And part of the structure that Lemire is doing with this that he changes up a little bit going forward, but he still kind of keeps to some of that structure is each of these issues kind of introduces, gives a pseudo origin to each of the characters. Each issue has a different origin, but within that, these are flashbacks. There is forward action going on. Every, all the characters are, are being addressed and, and we have forward movement, but it's, it's just the way he does it. And, and again, it's, it, this isn't a new, concept in terms of storytelling but it's done in such a way that you feel like you're reading something new does that make sense no absolutely and it, this is a lot of credit to to jeff lemire he understands the language of comics we were talking about this <laughs> a different subject off air off mic uh before where some people who, who are new to comics they don't understand the um you know how a comic should be read because it, right. it's, it's not the same as just picking up a book and reading the reading the words there's a visual language to it and a lot of writers who come from other mediums into comics it takes them a while to 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 understand that right. to understand that type of storytelling jeff lemire We've seen that, particularly with uh you know a lot of the creators who come from you know even like a kevin smith and see them come in and they they it takes them a little while to to understand the storytelling right Jeff Lemire, by contrast, just gets it. I mean, he, it's I mean, the best in both worlds, right? He, he, he's indie comics, which is a different type of storytelling, and he's superhero comics, which is a, another type of storytelling. He is able to combine those, not just in, the, in a lot of the stuff that he writes, but this really kind of shines a light on his ability to do that. Exactly. So, someone who is, I'll call him a master comic book storyteller. He understands yeah. how to pace a comic. He understands how to 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 allow the information to flow out rather than you know simply just giving us a whole bunch of exposition. He works incredibly well with with the with the the artists. I, he just he understands the medium, and that shines through. And that just the story just is better for it. It's, it's part of why he's been able to establish relationships with artists throughout his career. The work seems so collaborative between Lemire as the writer and and the artist. And I think sometimes it's hard to separate the two. And it's, uh, again, not to beat a dead horse, but, you know, his relationship with Ormston, I, you know, I, but my God, they just really seem to be, pardon the pun, on the same page. Oh, yeah. 
Absolutely. And it comes through. It just seems, it just seems comfortable. It makes reading a good comic just a joy when that right. happens. But hey, tell us, Brian, what happens in this story? So when we're first introduced to the comic, you know, we start off, it's it's Abraham Slam. We are we are told like that we are 10 years into the future from something happening that has led them to be, they're on a farm. They're literally on a farm. The opening sequence is Abraham Slam uh, milking a cow mm-hmm. and talking about how much he, he loves his life. Abraham Slam is very invested in this life. So then through a, a series of, of course, we're introduced to all of the sort of prime characters, or at least the prime characters in this story arc. You know, primarily we're talking about Golden Gale, we're talking about Abraham Slam, Talkie Walkie, Colonel Weird, Barbalian, and uh, Madame Dragonfly. And all of these are, you know, Abraham Slam is a combination of Captain America and Daredevil. Well, I, and I also read where he's also Golden Age Adam as well, which makes a lot yeah, of sense. Yeah, there's a little bit of that, yeah. Barbalian is is clearly um, based on uh, Martian Manhunter. Absolutely. Uh, uh, Golden Gale is a mix of Shazam or Zafram. <laughs> Zafram. Which I think is just, uh, we'll get to that. I want to talk a lot about Golden Gale, actually, but continue. You know, there, there's not a lot of, you know... They don't do the, the 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 Holy Trinity from DC really. There's no. There's a little bit of Wonder Woman and Golden Gale, but oh, not much. It's more than Shazam. Much. There's no Batman. There's no Superman. So yeah, this is more of the JLA. You know, the early Golden Age stuff. We get it. It's it's Golden Age. Well, not Abraham, to, not Abraham Slam is is more of a Marvel analog, whereas whereas the others are are more of you know DC. Uh, yeah, yeah, I can see that. I mean, I I definitely got Captain America vibes from him. Yeah. Well, and there's also the Daredevil, the boxing, yeah. and the yeah. He, so. He's the, he's the the only one that doesn't have superpowers, right? Which which uh-huh. ties into his feeling more comfortable with just living a normal life. So we're initially introduced to this world, this idyllic farm. Of course, it's it's the whole slowly introducing each of the characters and. Uh, their kind of unique relationship with each other. And, and not all, not, not all the relationships are great. Madam Butterfly or Madam Butterfly. <laughs> <laughs> Which would be interesting. Yes. That's her sister. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're, we're slowly introduced to this world. We, we are given to understand where, you know, Lemire parcels out the information. He doesn't give it to us all at once. And there are things that happen in the first issue that don't seem to make sense that you're by the end of the sixth issue, you're like, holy crow, there's that scene where Madame Dragonfly says this one thing and you're like, oh, wow, that's actually prescient when you start to realize that she might have a little bit more to do with all of this than we initially thought. But we're set up basically as like a day-to-day work on a farm situation. Now, some of the characters, Barbalian can change his shape. So he's presented as like this kind of tall red creature and but then he can morph into looking like a human being talkie walkie is just a robot he has to be hidden from view golden gale is in the form she's she's Nine older. Years old. yeah she's a middle-aged woman who presents as a yeah she's trapped in this form you know she is a 50 60 year old woman trapped in the form of a nine-year-old so they're living in this farm on the outskirts of this Rookwood town where things are a little screwy. They aren't quite what they seem. It's very middle America, 1950s 
you yes. know, there's a diner. There's, you know, the the local sheriff who's probably like a racist pig. Yeah, it's the it's the idea it's the idea of what a small town in the Midwest is supposed to be. Right, but there's something and, not quite right about it. Yeah, and the characters can't present as superheroes because, as we find out, they were thrown into this town, this world, after a massive battle against what's called the Anti God or Dark Side, depending on. You know. <laughs> so. They cannot escape this this area. They're they're trapped here after this massive battle against the anti god, where we're given to understand they prevail in in a town called Spiral City. And in a flash of light, they're suddenly sent to this world, and they can't move beyond these particular boundaries. Uh, it's not a spoiler alert. We actually find out. I think we find out in these issues. Do we find out in these issues? I don't think we find out in these issues. Maybe no, we I don't. Shouldn't. Yeah. We don't. Right. Because yeah. I read ahead. We don't find out exactly how they found out that they can't move beyond these boundaries. We do but, know that Black Hammer, you know, the the, 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 titular, the titular hero. Yeah. Is dead. Uh, something happened, which, you know, we can assume. And in the first uh, in the first issue we get a scene where they it's the 10 year anniversary of them showing up in this place. And we get uh, at the end of the first issue, we get them gathering to memorialize black hammer. And of course they gather around black hammers. Well, black hammer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and, and having a moment of here we are. Right. The thing I really like about this is, you know, again, it's it's slow, methodical world building. It's not right. holding your hand. It's just saying this is what happened and this was what happened. And it's showing you as they move through their lives. So you get that that tension, like Golden Gale has to go to school because she presents as right. a nine-year-old girl and she has to go to school. Because uh, they, they can't not send a nine-year-old girl living on a farm with a bunch of dudes to school. Yeah. And of course, you know, she... She gets she into keeps, trouble. One of the, one of the, yeah, one of the great running gags is she keeps sneaking out and like stealing cigarettes and, and booze. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> she's like, I'm not a nine-year-old girl. Yeah. And of course, you know, everybody's like, treats her like. Yeah, well, I love the, uh, what a great idea for Golden Gale. It's the reverse Shazam. So instead yeah. of a young boy who turns into a grown man, she's a grown woman who turns into a young girl. Right. With, with after the uh, magic word is said. It's such a great idea. And the implications of that is great because in, in Gail's issue, in where we get her backstory, it's, you know, when she's younger, it's kind of cool, you know, that she gets to, because she's kind of close in age right. to her <clears> persona. <throat> but when she's older, you get this really weird existential crisis where she wants to she be young. Know. Yeah. She wants to be young again, but at the same time, she's a grown woman and needs to be a grown woman. And now she's in this kind of hellish existence where she's a nine-year-old girl, but she's not a nine-year-old girl. Whatever, yeah, whatever has happened to send these six people to this pocket world has trapped her. And exactly. Yeah, has trapped her in her superhero form. Yeah, and it just—it's a really interesting concept. And and Lemire, you know, it, the way he approaches it. And again, we what he does is he doesn't give us everything at once. No, which which is normal, but he also doesn't keep us. We start to figure some stuff out by the end. So it's not 
coy. You know, Lemire is not coy by his plotting. Uh, he's very purposeful, and he brings us along in 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 a very appropriate way where we don't feel like we're stuck like with a mystery that's never going to be resolved. Exactly. He doesn't feel the need, again, to, to doesn't feel the need to to hold our hand. He trusts us as readers to say, you know what this is, you know what this where this is going. Just follow the story. You'll get it in time. Yeah, he trusts us as readers to understand, you know, and to figure stuff out on our own. It's <laughs> I think we're just gonna keep saying it's really well done over and over again. Yeah. So I don't want to, I don't necessarily want to go issue by issue uh, because I think um, generically the plot is, so here's what we are presented in the first six issues is Gail was having a crisis about being trapped in a nine-year-old's body. We get her origin. She was, you know, there was an old wizard that she found in a abandoned theater who turned her into, you know, Golden Gale and you know, it's the Zafram thing. Uh, Barbalian was a, is from Mars and was essentially sent to Earth to scope Earth out. Yeah. Well, Mars is a race of warriors and he's a pacifist. Right. And he's a pacifist. And uh, so he ends up coming to Earth and adopts the guise of a cop who also uh, turns out to be a gay cop. And so we have some forward, we have some plot devices with, with uh, Barbalian dealing with, with that. I think we already, you know, said with uh, Abraham Slam, he was, um, he's the Captain America analog. So we find out that he is, was a weakling and couldn't enter the service. And so he took a boxing and, uh, and through a series of uh, events, uh, built up his body into this supreme fighting machine. Colonel Weird is was is a 1950s pulp space explorer uh, who gets trapped into this thing called the Parazone, where he is moving in between time zones. And so he knows the future, but his mind is being slowly destroyed. Yeah, he's sort of like on a bad acid trip. You know. he's, he's on a bad acid trip throughout these six issues. Yeah. Madam Dragonfly is, she's one of the more interesting. It's, it's hard to like pinpoint. She is every magical character in comics. I kind of saw her as a combination of, of Madam Xanadu, Raven and the Crypt Keeper. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which uh, uh, the Crypt Keeper uh, analogy is, uh, comes into play in her origin story, which is great. We need to talk about that. So, you know, all of all of these stories we get throughout the six issues. Meanwhile, what what is also happening is we are going back to Spiral City, which is the city where these superheroes originally came from. And we are introduced to Lucy Weber, who is the daughter of the Black Hammer. And she's an investigative reporter. She's trying to find out what happened to both her father as the Black Hammer and all these other heroes through a series of events featuring uh, some probes that Talkie Walkie keeps sending out to try to communicate outside of this pocket universe. Eventually, one of these probes makes it to the real world or what we think is the real world. And Lucy then, Lucy Weber then becomes involved with all of this. So these are like, so her story is mixed in with all of these other stories as well. And uh, things culminate with her appearance into this pocket universe. Which will lead to later arcs. And yes. So forth. Yeah. But, you know, the main, to me, the main gist of this 
particular, you know, we get a backstory on all these people, but we also get their relationships to each other. Right. And this is, is, is one of Lemire's strengths. They obviously, they have arguments. They have, they annoy what? each other. They're a family. They obviously care deeply about each other, but they are annoyed by each other constantly. And that's, that's what I mean by it's one of Lemire's strengths is that he can create, or he writes realistic family dynamics incredibly well. This isn't just a stereotypical family. It's, you know, they care for each other, but they don't like each other at the same time. And it's, you know, <laughs> um, you know, I, you can see that in your own family <laughs> where you love your family, but at the same time, I don't want to be in the same room with you all the time. Yeah. When you say this is one of Lemire's strengths, it really is when you read his more interpersonal indie comics. Right. Yeah. Especially Essex County. But continue. I cut you off. Oh, no. Uh, so throughout all this, we are introduced with them. So all of these origins are interspersed throughout the uh, the first six issues. And, and it's done in a really interesting way where it doesn't take up too much time, but it, it gives what we need to know for now. Throughout all this, of course, we have their interactions with the people of the town. Abe uh, has a, a, a woman who owns a diner that he likes to go go a courting <laughs> with, who also is the ex-wife of the local sheriff, which comes into play later. Barbalian is dealing with his, you know, with 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 coming out and with finding out who he is. And we have some interaction with him and a local priest who he feels like he has a connection with. And the analogs, so have, to the, not analogs, but, you know, the uh, the metaphors are the metaphors are pretty, pretty blatant on that. He's literally the stranger in a strange land, exactly. um, both as an alien yeah. and also alienated by his, yeah. you know, by who he is otherwise, too. So it's uh, um, so so this is a thing that that plays out through all of this as well. And uh we have Colonel Weird is literally weird. Is literally weird. His story, I, I never. It's not well. It is very fleshed out. But who he is and what is happening to him is this comes into play more strongly in future story arcs. Yeah, and so it's hard to get a complete grasp on Colonel Weird. A lot of Colonel Weird's bits and a lot of Mag Madame Dragonfly's bits are setting things up for later. Does that make sense? Yes. I mean, the, the gist of Colonel Weird is he's flipping around through time and he had someone he was, he was deeply in love with and that person wanted to come with him on his journeys through time. And that did not end well. No. I do like the fact that each one of these origin stories in each issue is given, is given the style in which their character represents, meaning, you know, yes. Colonel Weird is like a sci-fi pulp yes. story. Uh, Madame Dragonfly is like Tales from the Crypt. It's an EC Comics. Yes. Golden Gale is much more of a, a Golden Age superhero type of the style. So we really... Abraham is gritty. Exactly. You know, that just adds so much. Again, we're getting back to the visual storytelling. You know, it says so much just by giving it that, that style and that the action that is appropriate to their character. We get so much understanding of who these people are just by the style in which they're drawn. It's, again, the great creative team. Well, let's start with with Abraham because he's he's sort of – Abraham is sort of the, the rock, the focal point that we begin with and then we follow – everyone sort of happens around him. Right. Well, Abraham is like – he's the, the leader, let's say. And he 
he's the one who has adjusted the best to this new life. He's accepted. He doesn't want to leave. Yeah, he's accepted. He likes working on the farm. He, he's got a girlfriend. He's got a girlfriend, which is adorable. His yeah. interactions with her. He's just so shy. And, you know, it's very realistic of how someone would court someone he fancies. And it's just, right. it's just written in a really adorable way. And it's very in keeping with the sort of nature of the town where it feels like the town is, is, is stuck in time. Exactly. So he has to have a, a, a family dinner. His gal wants to have dinner with and meet his family, which of course, yeah, he's resisting for, for, yeah, because these are not typical people. No. And uh, I mean, Barbalian is easy because he can shift to human form. Uh, uh, Gale, because the, the setup of the family dynamic is is also weird because, you know, Gale is, is, is his granddaughter. Madame Dragonfly is supposed to be her mother, Gale's mother. Abraham's daughter. Right. Abraham's daughter, who is... Gail's mother, and these are the uh, roles they're playing, right? Yeah. Mark is the is the other son, right? Barbalian is the other son. Yeah, so Barbalian would be Madame Dragonfly's brother, and um, and then Colonel Weird is Gail's dad, essentially. Right. Yeah, it's all very. Uh, I I could be getting this wrong. Yeah. Well, these are just roles they're playing in order to fit into the town, into the town, and and it is interesting how that dynamic works. So, um, so at this dinner, Gail decides that she's going to rebel and dresses like a like a goth punk kid and right. causes a ruckus and be all rebellious and shit uh, as the kids do, particularly sixty year old women trapped in a nine year old. Yeah, well, it would gotta be. It would be. It would be horrible. Imagine being who you are now, but then you're in a body of a five year old. That would just be awful. Right. You know? It's like an umbrella academy, right? Well. Anyway, yeah, exactly. So, and then, of course, at this dinner, they're really, they're really hesitant. They're they're afraid Colonel Weird will show up and be weird. But honest, but actually, he gets himself together and 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 saves the day, basically. Right, and it's one of those very interesting moments um, where you have that scene where Colonel Weird has been told by Abraham not to come to the dinner because he doesn't want Colonel Weird to ruin everything. And you see Colonel Weird, he's in the bathroom and he pulls out a straight razor. Yeah, I thought that was going to go in a different direction. And well, I think we were meant to think that that was going to go in a different direction. He pulls out a straight razor and he's looking at it and you're sitting there going, he's going to kill himself. And it turns out what he did was he just shaved and got himself presentable because Colonel Weird is like, he's all like, you know, massive beard. And, you know, I mean, he's he's your typical mad professor, although he flies around and then adam strange looking outfit with a with a clear helmet on his head yeah he has kind of that really weird uh really weird the persona if you saw ever saw like a wild man in the desert right living off of grubs and berries waiting for him to to shout repent exactly exactly yeah but he shows up all in his in his uniform and and looking presentable and gets everybody back on track and makes the and makes the dinner of a nice experience yeah. Um, which is which again is just uh, it's that dynamic and it's 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 how Lemire switches the dynamics around because you, you have this moment you have moments of great tension uh, it's it, yeah and you, it feels realistic it does and the way that it feels realistic in a way that you don't get in superhero comics and make no mistake this is a superhero comic oh yeah yeah without a doubt 
with with a bunch of f bombs thrown in, <laughs> um, which which I, I want to just as a quick detour, I, I do want to say I I love the fact that this is able to be done on dark. This is on Dark Horse, and it's able to be done without the constraints. And then we we have lots of superhero comics done on Image and Dark Horse and Boom and Tiny, either wherever else where they we don't have these constraints. But I feel like Lemire really is using that lack of editorial and PG rated constraints. And instead of just going over the top with it, like say, I don't know, let's just pull a random comic off the top of my head, the boys <laughs> taking it to an extreme, he he uses it to tell a mature story without it being excess. Yeah, it doesn't feel unnatural. It's it's, it's everything that like, everything is done is in keeping with the characters. Right. It's not just someone you're not, it's not just there for shock value. It's not just throwing in a bat penis for the hell of it. Right. You know, so <laughs> one of the first lines of the comic is, is Gail saying, fuck off, Abe. But you that's know. in keeping with who she is. And you know you're in a different world right there. So yeah. that feeds into, again, to circle back to the dinner scene and a lot of the other, there are a lot of mature subjects going on in this comic but they're not they're they're not played for excess yes yeah and and you can see the intricacies of all the relationships obviously abraham uh kind of you know he has an affection for gail and he actually treats her like a granddaughter like a daughter and which she drives her crazy which drives her crazy because she's not that she's not really that she has a a, a crush i guess you'd say on barbalian which yes. obviously is going to go nowhere and he still says well, i can't have a relationship with you you're you're a nine-year-old girl <laughs> like, i'm not a nine-year-old girl <laughs> um, but the fact that when colonel weird shows up in his you know in his cleaned up persona gail is immediately struck struck dumb by the whole thing she's just she doesn't know how to react suddenly she's you know on her best behavior and that was just such an interesting reaction for her right she, she's taken out of she's she was just taken out of whatever it was she was like while well, her <laughs> bad behavior is gone right. by this I think uh, so. We've we've kind of set up most of the the, the plotting of of this, and and uh, uh, most of the you know. The, there's a few more things. Uh, the arrival of Lucy at the end is is going to have major ramifications. So Lucy arrives at the end because she has found this probe. We don't know exactly how she follows this, but at some point they discover there's a doorway somewhere out in space we've already seen this doorway because colonel weird has been moving in and out of this doorway throughout yeah. the comic it's almost like some kind of phantom zone right yeah. and uh <laughs> but we don't know exactly how lucy gets there but, but the series basically ends with lucy showing up and she is greeted by colonel weird and and madam dragonfly we'll get to madam dragonfly here in a, in a few minutes but this will tie in so she's greeted by colonel weird and madam dragonfly and colonel weird and madam dragonfly know things that the other characters do not and so lucy shows up the daughter of black hammer and her basically response is i know where this is i know who you are i know what you've done at which point madam dragonfly erases her memory and then everybody else shows up and this six issues ends with with uh, you know her being like well i'm lucy weber how did i get here what's happening great cliffhanger um, yes it is a great cliffhanger there's an even better cliffhanger at the end of the next six <laughs> but uh, that will get that's outside to... our purview right now yes but i think ultimately where i want to bring everything back around to us so so that's the story the story is 
superheroes fighting anti-God get sent, win the battle we think gets sent to this pocket universe, are acting or reacting within this pocket universe, small town, some weird things going on, things that don't quite make sense in the town. That's the comic. But I think that it's Colonel Weird and Madame Dragonfly that are the most interesting things in this, particularly in that their story, their through lines are not as clearly defined as the other characters. Yes, they're much more mysterious than the others. They seem pretty straightforward. Right. Like with Colonel Weird, we get him, he, he does a lot of just floating around and he visits various people and he speaks cryptically. But some of the most interesting conversations he has are actually with Madame Dragonfly. To kind of finish up now that we have the basic story, I kind of want to like bring ourselves around to Madame Dragonfly, her origin, who she is, and what she might mean to this story. Do you have anything more to say about the overall plot before we... No, I do have one thing about, just just about Colonel Weird. So as the issues are going on, he just sort of pops up here and there out of a table and through a wall, and he says something very cryptic and strange. When you finally get to his issue, you see that in chronological order, and it all starts to make sense. Right. It's not cryptic. He's he's out of sync with the rest of the world, which is yeah. really well done. Uh, so, But now we can move on to Madame Dragonfly. Ultimately, the, the crux of all this seems to rest on Madame Dragonfly's character. And Madame Dragonfly, her origin story, we get, it's the final issue, or issue six. I know you really like this issue and wanted to talk about it. It is the setup from the get-go is, like you stated before, is right out of an EC comic. She's the Crypt Keeper. She's telling this horror story. And she is the narrator. She is actually addressing us, the reader, the same way the Crypt Keeper would. So what we learn about her is she had had a baby that died. She shows up in this Louisiana swamp. Yes, you see what's coming. Yeah. (laughs) Faithful listener. She shows up in this Louisiana swamp to this old witch and asks the witch to, you know, revive her or heal her baby. So through a series of trickery, the witch is living in this little shack. The witch, uh, the witch says, I will, you know, save your baby, but you have to take over for me and whatever specific supernatural thing is going on with the shack and the witch and whatever. Of course, the, the woman is like, yes, yes, absolutely. And of course, it turns out she was tricked. She then inherits this curse of the shack. And uh, so then she is trapped in this Louisiana swamp in this shack with all these rooms, with all these supernatural horror things going on in them. All of this will be investigated in future issues. But for now, we, we just get a, a vague sense of what this shack is. Then these two people show up because some children have gone missing. And so these two guys show up thinking that she is responsible. Yeah, obviously it's the witch living in the creepy old shack that's stealing children. We've all read fairy tales. So So these two gentlemen show up with guns because they're going to take her on. The two gentlemen's names are Len and Bernie, not to be confused with Len Wayne or Bernie Wrightson. (laughs) It's so on purpose. (laughs) <laughs> so it's Len and Bernie who show up. And uh, at some point, one of, uh, I forget which one, I think it's Len maybe runs into the into the shack. Yes. And of course is attacked by whatever creatures live in this shack and catches on some kind of supernatural fire and wait 
for it, kids. Wait for it. The guy goes <laughs> running out of the shack and on fire and dives into the swamp. Yeah, and something happens to him in the swamp. Something <laughs> does happen to him in the swamp. And he emerges as a thing from the swamp. This is awesome. I mean, this is just so great how Lemire does this. Yeah, absolutely. The way he's able to take these... It has to be read to fully appreciate what he's... We all get what he's doing here, but it's how he does it. He's able to take these concepts and these characters, these iconic characters, and weave them into a different story and tell something unique right. uh, with, with it. Yeah. So, so this thing from the swamp emerges and proceeds down the line to carry out a romantic relationship with uh, Madame Dragonfly. You're getting something more from this story oh <laughs> <laughs> all of this is part of the origin but uh at some point madam dragonfly has to leave the thing from the swamp and go to spiral city to join the heroes fighting this anti-god and of course when they get spirited away to this pocket dimension when the battle is over the shack comes with her, but her swamp thing does not. <laughs> so she's brokenhearted. But what else comes with her is a baby who's pregnant. So. Except, of course, and, and this is, uh, again, so the baby apparently dies. We don't know how it's referenced to say, you know, we're going to find out that later on. So that's kind of our origin story. Some of this is important in that throughout the comic, Madam Dragonfly has been found to be engaging herself in some of the activities of what's going on in the town and seems to be influencing how the townspeople are acting, reacting, or what they know. Right. And it's very subtle at first. Even in the first issue, we have a reference like Abe and Gail and uh, Barbalian go into town, and we just have this brief panel with Mag Madam Dragonfly saying, saying, oh, I'm going to have a late night tonight. I need to be on whatever she mm -hmm. I need to be focused. And we're like, what does that mean? The further along we get, the more we realize she is actually manipulating the townspeople. Yeah, we see the most blatant example of that is when Gail gets in trouble at school and is sent to the principal's office. She shows up and kind of manipulates the principal into thinking everything's fine. Right. It's all, it's all good. And there's also a scene where she confronts the sheriff, who is the ex-husband of Tammy Trueheart. Great name. The girlfriend of Abe Slam. So she, so the sheriff is angry about this relationship. He's angry about that whole family. He's very, I mean, he's, he's your typical, you know, pig cop in a small <laughs> town. And uh, at some point, Madam Dragonfly confronts him and tells him that he is exhibiting too much free will yes something is amiss well we're I, and I'm, I'm trying to keep from moving on into yes. the next six issues but what we are left with is this idea that madam dragonfly and we're left with the idea that colonel weird because he's traveling through time references often like he knows what's you know at some point he does the dr manhattan thing right yes where he's like at this point, you say this. I mean, he's literally doing Dr. Manhattan when he's interacting with the characters. He's talking to Gail and she's like, I could have been, you know, naked or whatever when you came in here. And he's like, but you were not and you were not going to be. And he's like, and this is where the conversation ends and you yeah. will not 
he is predicting the future. Madame Dragonfly, on the other hand, seems to have a lot more control over this pocket town, pocket dimension than seems normal. So, so, so basically this whole, these first six issues really set up, we get to know the characters, we get to know the situation, and it sets up uh, the overarching mystery that the series will address as, as it progresses. You know, it's, it's a perfect Again. little way to get, you know, to get you like, this is the world. These are the people living in that world. And again, we don't, we, we barely have Black Hammer. I think that's one of the things I love about this is the series is, it, the comic is called Black Hammer and there really is no Black Hammer. In the first six issues, yeah. You know, there's something that uh, that I found interesting in that you talked about Madame Dragonfly being tricked. You know, it's, it's a very monkey's paw thing. I'll, I want my child right. to, to come back to life. Yes, you can have that, but there, you will have a price to pay. And all the characters have that. Golden Gale wants to be a superhero, but she's tricked into taking off on this mantle from the old wizard. Right. Barbalian, uh, back on, he just wants to change how his people uh, approach things, and he's tricked into being sent to Earth and, and having his life turned upside down. Colonel Weird is just, uh, you know, exploring space, and he gets tricked into entering this alternate dimension. So they all have uh, something that they go into things with good intentions, but of... Uh, it's almost like there are other forces in play. There you go. No! Uh, it's almost like this is a really good story. <laughs> and there's a lot of setup and payoff. As it I, This is a great story. And I, I feel like I'm, you know, I never feel like I do a good enough job like conveying when we really like, I think it's clear that we really like this comic, but yeah, there's so many things going on that it's impossible to talk about in the limited amount of uh, time we're actually giving to this podcast. Yeah. And it's so easy to want to just go on and talk about what happens later in the series. <laughs> I feel like we cheated a little bit by reading ahead. Yeah. Or ahead, you know, but... ahead. But yeah, we, it's, it's hard not to remember into the future. That's Colonel Weird. <laughs> exactly. And we're not, I, I, we, we've, we're talking about the, the great art and the, and the wonderful storytelling but we're really not doing credit to, you know, we've said this is a loving homage to Golden Age comics and just the names like Tammy Trueheart, Abraham Slam, the, the, the wonderful naming conventions of all the, mm -hmm. uh, of all the cities and the, and the characters. Uh, and, right. the, and there's one that we love most of all, I believe, which is Cthulhu. Cthulhu, <laughs> which uh, yes. is maybe my, my favorite villain now of all time. <laughs> yes, he is. A, it's he literally... Is... Yeah, he's an evil scientist who who splices his name his was Lou. whose name is Lou, and he splices his genes with a with an octopus and becomes Cthulhu. Absolute genius. And that's the other thing is, and I reference this, but this series splinters off. I actually had to look up the reading order because some of it was to give Dean Ormston time to draw. And he had an accident, that, right? That that's that slowed down his his um, his ability to yeah, his, well, his process. So you have the main series, and then you have a ton of spinoffs. Now, normally one would think, oh, spinoffs, ick. No, the spinoffs are great, and oh, they yeah. feed into the story. They are in addition, but it's it's sort of like it's like if you read Avengers and West Coast Avengers and. Savage Avengers and and uh, you know um, cranky Avengers and, and um, <laughs> C list Avengers and I I want to see cranky Avengers. Yeah, you know what I mean though. It's like it's like people are perfectly willing to read 
50 different Batman comics in a month and 50 different Avengers comics in a month. And so Black Hammer's just, they're doing that, although it's not anywhere near that extent. Yeah. There's only one spinoff going at a time. Yeah, you would also see this in old pulp novels, pulp sci-fi novels and things where, you know, little minor characters would, you know, splinter off of Buck Rogers and have their own little side stories that will come back again. And Lemire is really heavily involved in all that, just just from, you know, Sherlock Frankenstein and Cthulhu and, you know, just taking all these old pulp weird stories. I mean, weird as in like weird tales. Right. And and just drawing on those and, and really doing something new and exciting with them. I can say full wholeheartedly that i recommend black hammer to anyone there's just and we've given you the larger you know beats to the story there's so many tiny little moments and within this that are just so rewarding to read this is just this this is we we say this a lot but you know it's it's good comics this is new comics it's being made now and overall i mean this is this is great superhero comics it's great uh homages to old pulp literature and but overall it is Lemire's talent for telling a melancholy story of family to address traumas and self-realization that's what it always comes down to there's always there's a heart to this story that transcends its material or makes its material better anything more to say Brian I I think I I I have about two hours worth of stuff more to say (laughs) but uh who has the patience for that you know Dean Ormston, Jeff Lemire, fantastic job. Absolutely. This is, this is good comics. It's it's out on Dark Horse. If you like superheroes, if you like horror, if you yeah. like if you like yeah. space comics, if you know any any genre of comics that you like, you will find something to love in this comic. And there are some beautiful there's a beautiful library edition that's put out of of the all the early volumes, which I got from the library, by the way. Uh, yeah, so you know, so if you're a collector, yeah, some of these some of these hardcover library editions are are really nicely done. Oh, Pick it up; I highly recommend yeah. it. Okay, so Paul, today was uh, my day to talk about my recommendation. On the next exciting episode of Collected Edition, we'll be reading your recommendation. Uh, would you like to tell us what that's going to be? I will. In a shocking turn of events, I'm going to recommend a Captain America comic. Will you? <laughs> At least it's not written by Ed Brubaker, right? But it ha- just happens to be ri- written by Ed Brubaker. Oh. Uh, at the end of WandaVision, after a, uh, after a week off, there will be a new Marvel series called Falcon and Winter Soldier. So huh. in honor of that, uh, we are going to read the Captain America Winter Soldier arc from uh, written by Ed Brubaker with art by Steve Epting. What I will be recommending is the uh, what's called the Ultimate Collection. It's actually 13 issues. It's issues one through nine of Brubaker's run and then 11 to 14. There was a tiny little crossover thing that happened in the middle there, which we will, will not be dealing with. I think it was House of M, actually, now that I think about it. No, I think this was after House of M. I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm going to cut this part out. But anyway, it's the ultimate edition. It's 13 issues. It, it covers the entire uh, Winter Soldier arc, the original one that the, the movie was based on, sort of. Oh, oh no, no. It might have been. Yeah, this might have been House of M. Never mind. Okay. I might have okay. So it, anyway, it all ties it's together. It's like editing all this. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, that's what it's going to be. Captain America Winter Soldier Ultimate Collection by Brubaker and Epting. So we will be reading some pretty good Captain America, I think. All right. But, you know, come on. All Captain America is pretty good Captain America. Is it? Is it, Paul? 
I think so. Well, maybe there was this time in the 90s that really wasn't all that good. And following this, I will be recommending six months worth of Grant Morrison comics. <laughs> I think we should do a spinoff podcast of nothing but Grant Morrison. <laughs> uh, next time we're going to be doing Captain America Winter Soldier Brian thank you for recommending Black Hammer it was so great to revisit this stuff um, yes it, and and you've got me rereading the whole thing now so that's what I'm going to be doing for many months to come I believe <laughs> <laughs> uh, so anyway thanks everybody for listening uh, please leave us a comment on our website collectededitionpodcast.com I'd love to hear what your thoughts are also hit us up on Twitter do all that stuff yeah, you, you all get it in the end tag. You don't need me to keep repeating it. Anywho, thanks again for listening. And uh, as always, keep reading comics. And be well. You've been listening to The Collected Edition, a comic book podcast. The Collected Edition is a Daddy Elk production. All materials used on the show are copyright their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. The show can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, as well as online at CollectedEditionPodcast.com, where comments can be left on individual episodes. You can also send us feedback at comments at CollectedEditionPodcast.com or on Twitter at CollectedEdPod. That's Collected, E-D-P-O-D. The Collected Edition, a comic book podcast, is for entertainment purposes only.